before we open his word. Dear Father, it is thy word that draws us together. We are so happy to see each other and to, to see that desire, dear Father, but it is because of thy word, because of thee, that we are drawn together. Dear Father, that is thy word, the person, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the one that draws us together. Dear Father, and we pray that you would have the preeminence this day where ties are weak, where love is growing cold, dear Father. We know the Lord Jesus, the one who shed his blood for us, the one who came and experienced all the things that we experienced, that's not his desire, and he wishes to kindle anew, to come alongside each one, to draw us into the loving embrace so that we could together, all of us together, can journey into that blessed eternal home. Dear Father, we ask for the infilling of thy Holy Spirit this morning, dear Father. We know the promise, dear Father, those that have believed on thee, that have experienced that transformation, that have been baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, we know the power of the Holy Spirit, and Yet it know, we know it pleases thee to be entreated, to ask. We want to ask for more, dear Father. We know our own weakness. We know our own frailty and our own hesitancies and, and lack of faith, dear Father, and we ask for more of thee. We know thou hast given us the Holy Spirit, part of thyself, who thou art, thy complete God, to be with us. So we pray this in his name. Amen. I'd like to continue this morning in the trip through 2 Corinthians. We're now at chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. 
for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I, bless, I read the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's, <clears throat> let's kneel in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to know that before thee, all of the unnecessary things are stripped away, and though we sometimes are uh, running around and in confusion and plans get pushed out of joint and there's uh, disruptions, but with thee, there is never any surprises, there is never anything out of order, but all things concede or proceed according to thy will, and there is calm in the eternity that thou dost inhabit. And so, Heavenly Father, it's so good in a, in a life where things are often upside down to come before thee now, to kneel before thee, to enter into thy throne room in the quietness and peace of it, and to sit at the feet of the King of the universe, who loved us first and sent his Son for each one. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to know. No terrors in the dark grave for those that are in Christ Jesus. That though none of us would, are looking forward to stepping through that dark door at the end of this life, yet we can approach that same door with thankfulness and even with joy knowing who waits for us on the other side. What a blessing it is, Heavenly Father, to know that already we are enjoying eternity here and that, as the Apostle Paul wrote, it's not that we were looking to be unclothed, to drop this mortality, but to be clothed upon with that immortality, that perfection that knows no pain nor blemish, to join thee in courts of glory.
Heavenly Father, what a, what a thought that is. Our minds are not equal even to the exploration of it, but Heavenly Father, we cling to this promise and this hope, knowing that there are those that are right now on death's door. We would want to pray for them, Heavenly Father, that they would, that they would have a good end, that thy peace would be upon those that are there, that thy spirit would be present, and that there would be that calm assurance that every believer possesses that we are leaving this world for a better one. Heavenly Father, we want to lift up in prayer unto thee also those that are suffering with chronic conditions and for whom this life has little joy, but it's full of pain. Dear Lord, be with them. Provide for them also comfort and peace and relief according to thy will and, and thy knowledge of their needs. Be also with those that are struggling against uh, difficult diseases or terminal illness. Dear Lord, let us know. Let us know what is best and let each one of us learn to trust thee in this and to lean on thee when our understanding is incomplete. Heavenly Father, we want to also pray for those that are recovering. We're especially mindful of our sister Elizabeth who uh, went through a difficult surgery and is uh, now convalescing. And Heavenly Father, we pray that thou wouldst do thy work to provide also healing and recovery for her that she can once again gather with us here in this place. Dear Lord, we want to ask a blessing also on the children that are gathered downstairs that are learning the truths of thy word in a confusing world, in a confused world that no longer knows how to properly define things. Dear Lord, be with them, strengthen them, grant them a strong identity, a strong understanding rooted in thy word that they would not be shaken by the winds and currents of this world. Be with our brother now as he would open the word unto us and share from its pages. Grant him wisdom to uh, instruct us unto the power of thy spirit and open each heart to receive that as we heard just uh, on the last uh, few Wednesdays about the, the ground that receives the seed that each heart here would be a prepared plot of land well turned over and ready to receive the good word and to bring forth fruit. Heavenly Father, be with us now and bless us with thy presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As my brother mentioned in the prayer, my thoughts this morning also go to, as we read this passage, go to um, Sister Ruth Kurtz and, and the, the dissolution of her physical body. As we re read here in the first verse. And this scripture, at least the first part of this chapter, must be a great comfort to her family and to all believers. You know, that's one of the themes we've been exploring in Second Corinthians of comfort. And I, I get a sense that Paul, after just flowing from the thoughts in the previous chapter, he now dwells on this thought of the temporary dwelling and the eternal dwelling. And it's a source of great comfort for him. And it should be for you, my brother and sister. It should be a source of great comfort. I know it is for me. He starts with the words, for we know. How does he know? How does he have such certainty about what is after death? That's the great question 
that the world asks, what happens when we die? We can see and touch these things here now, but we cannot touch, we do not know physically what happens after death. How does he know? It's a simple answer, and the children in Sunday school know that answer too. The answer is Jesus. He knows because of Jesus. You know, the Old Testament, what happens after death is not talked much about in the Old Testament. It's shrouded in mystery. Job says he believes he will. Though worms destroy this body, he will yet in his flesh see God. He, he has some conception of that there is life after death. David says, you know, the, the grave, those that are in the grave cannot praise thee. He knows that there's silence in the grave, but there's, it's shrouded in darkness. But with the coming of Jesus Christ, there is certainty, there is knowledge. He said to, to Martha in John 11, Jesus said unto her, you know, that she was, she was just experienced death, very fresh, very close. Her dearest brother had just died. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I think that's the question for us this morning. Do you, do you believe this? Do you really believe there is not only life after death, but the nature of what he talks about here? You know, a lot of people in this world, they're content to have some kind of vague notion, some platitude about, well, he's in a better place now. And it, to me, that is so, uh, it's, it's so sad and so pathetic. And I don't say that from a, a sense of judgment, of looking down on people that I know so much more. But when you turn the pages of the scripture, when you read about this man Jesus, when you read the epistles, which are just basically a commentary and, a, and expounding on, on the life of Jesus, there is so much more here. There's a rich life that begins here and now, and what we experience here now, the, the, the belief and the trust in what will happen after death, that is, the, that is the assurance, the leading. He says the earnest, the down payment, the spirit dwelling in us now is an assurance of what will happen after life. It's, it's so much more than this vague sort of platitude, and I hope everything is going to be all right, and I wasn't that bad of a person. That just does not satisfy the soul, does it? Paul says, for we know, and he knows because of Jesus. And my friend, outside of Christ, you can only know with certainty if you know Jesus, if you believe in him, if you trust him with everything that you have. No holds barred, no reservations. How many different places have you lived? If you think back in your, own, your life different dwelling places? Have you moved a lot? Have you lived in just one or two places? I know there's some in our congregation that have lived in one house their whole life. I was thinking, I've lived in three, but then I had to think, no, no, I, uh, there was, when we were newly married, we had a short stay in a basement apartment we rented. I had to think, that's, that's a reflection. You know, the, the more you dwell in a place, the more it feels like home. 
right? The length of the dwelling. You know, if something, if you just stay a few months someplace, just a short stay, it seems transient. You quickly forget, as I did about that first place we lived when we were married. The longer you live in a place, the more it feels like home. These bodies, you've lived in them your whole life. These bodies feel like home, don't they? But Paul says they're a tabernacle, a tent, that's going to be folded up, dissolved. It's going to be put away. These bodies are not home in the sense that he describes a house made, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. God didn't design us. He didn't make us for death. When he created man, he did not make man for death. Death was a result of separation. Death is separation of sin. God didn't make us for sin. He made us to be with him, to to dwell with him eternally, to experience him in all his fullness, not to be apart from him. And that's why this body and what I experience in this body physically is, is it's never enough. You know, if, if, if I, if what drives me, what motivates me is, is just what happens in this body in the sense of my uh, uh, comforts and my ease and making everything satisfying, all my needs, that will never be enough. It's just a temporary dwelling. It is corrupted by sin. It is fallen. I mean, clear here. I'm not preaching that the flesh is sinful. Jesus Christ inhabited flesh and blood. He showed that the flesh in and of itself, even though we are fallen. But God says we were built for so much more, and we know this intuitively. We groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. That's another thing that kind of breaks my heart a little bit about this whole, the rapid, rapid change of society, this medically assisted um, assistance in dying. The maid you've been hearing about, that's the new laws that have been passed. And in the new year, it's going to be that you don't even need a physical condition. You can just have a mental condition, and that will be grounds for you to be granted assistance in dying. And I have to think that's such a euphemism and such a misuse of words. It's like saying the person that assisted was the one who scored the goal. It's basically killing you. That's what it is. We are all dying. We're all going towards death. That's certainty, whether it's sudden, quick, or whether it's painful and, and um, there's a struggle. We're all going that way. And I don't think we have a desire. He says, not that we would be unclothed. You know, our desire is not to just our desire ought not to be just to get rid of the grievance, the, the burdens, the difficulties of this flesh. That shouldn't be our desire. You know, when the Christian longs for death, it shouldn't just be that. I just want to get rid of everything here. The real groaning, the real desire is for the, the presence of the Lord, is, is for his, the fullness of life, the full experience of, of life as it was meant to be, as we were designed. That should be the groaning and the desire. 
shouldn't be. Things are, are getting difficult now. The road ahead looks uncertain. I see no way out, and therefore, I'm going to choose what's easy. I think those that choose that route, they're going to be found naked, as it says here. Not that we would be unclothed. If so, being that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. And I think those that have don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that have no desire for his presence, that are not groaning within themselves to be with him in eternity, that's going to be the nakedness of an eternity without him. That's the warning, my, my friend, this morning. That's the second half of this chapter this morning that's directed to you, my friend. This reconciliation, this this is what needs to be, you need to grasp, you need to hold on to, you need to be reconciled to because otherwise death, this unclothing of your physical body in the sense of, 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 of it deteriorating and falling away and, and dying, it does hold terror. There is a nakedness and an exposure there that is intuitively everyone knows there is a fear of death. Those that do not know the Lord, there is a fear of death. But for those that do know the Lord, for those that have trusted in him, this desire for the life beyond, when things, when, when mortality, as he says here, will be swallowed up of life, that is what is, a, first of all, a great source of comfort, and it should be a, a guiding star for us. It should be the thing that, that, that pushes us forward. That's why Paul labors. He says, I know I'm laboring to this end, to be accepted of him when I am actually in his presence. Here's the other part of the truth of, of, of this eternal home, being in the presence of God, is that it involves judgment. I think just the mere fact of us being in the presence of God, for, in who he is, his whole totality of who he is, his truth, his righteousness, means there must be judgment. There can be no sweeping things under the rug or Let's just forget about that. There must be judgment. There must be setting things right. That's why reconciliation is so important. That's why it's so important to know the judge, to know the one. That's why it's so important to have his righteousness, to, to be made his righteousness as the, as the chapter ends here. Because those that don't know that righteousness, that haven't believed on Jesus Christ, that haven't committed themselves to him fully, they're going to stand in his presence on that, on that day. And, and I can't even describe. All he says here is the terror of the Lord. This is part of the gospel. This is part of it equally as much as the comfort and, and the promise of eternity. There is a terror. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, verse 11, we persuade men. Now is the time. You are living in this physical tabernacle, this tent, that's going to be folded up in a couple decades, in a couple years. Who knows? And now is the time to labor. Don't put it off. Don't think that you have this assurance of, 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 of um, sitting back and considering all these things in a kind of um, 
disinterested way, dare I say, or an intellectual way, or a, um, um, sitting back yourself as the judge. No. There's an opportunity for reconciliation. You know, when there's something between you and someone else, and it's unsaid, and you're both together, that's very uncomfortable. And you know there's a history there, or there's, you left a certain conversation a certain way, and it just sits there unspoken. And it kind of seems to grow, right? It doesn't just go away. I can only see this as a small little picture of an eternity standing before God, the God of all eternity, the God who created time, when time ends, and having this thing before you that was never reconciled. This is what Christ makes clear too. The Old Testament, it was clear that God was a righteous God. He was a just God, that there was no a mixing of sin and, 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 and righteousness. Old Testament made that clear, that the law laid that all out. But Christ, he's the one that really, mercy and truth have kissed each other. And one of the Psalms is a prophetic. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And you may think, oh, just read this verse. That's a workspace righteousness. Read the whole chapter. We know that's not the case. There is a reconciliation through Christ. There is a belief and a, a trusting in him that his righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to us through faith. No, there's no way that we could have ever done enough ever trusted in this flesh, this temporary tabernacle enough to, to, to give us confidence on the day of judgment that I've done all the things that you've commanded me to do. No. It's only the one that looks to Jesus Christ, that knows he doesn't have anything on his own, that believes him, that is reconciled, of him, that, that is the one that now understands and can labor for the Lord, can do. And this verse really is talking about Ultimately, the Christian's works being judged. Whether what he has done in his body, how he has labored, whether they are good or bad. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word here is, is bima, which is the, the, that local, the Roman magistrate would sit there on that judgment seat when there was a dispute, a civil dispute or a criminal dispute. He'd sit there and, and he would render judgment. And it could be imprisonment, it could be execution. It was something that all the civilians knew that when you're standing before the judgment seat now is that the time of decision and, and everything's made clear. So this is also a warning and an encouragement to the Christian that we must also labor. We must also do what is right and good here in this time. And this is why Paul... <laughs> This is how he goes from the first half of this chapter, thinking about the temporary dwelling and the eternal dwelling into the second part. This is how he goes from, okay, knowing this, I'm working to persuade others. I am laboring, I'm striving, and I have to think for myself. I can never just sit back and think, 
okay, I know I have an eternity promised for me that everything's going to be okay and, and, and uh, thank the Lord for my salvation and that's enough. Oh, that's, that's, that's so weak. It's someone, it's, it's the words, it's the thoughts of someone who doesn't really know, love Christ the way he ought to. If I love the Lord, if I am part of this, I will know I have a ministry of reconciliation. God has appointed me now, knowing this, knowing the, what is after death and the assurance, the promises that I have in Christ Jesus, now I have to labor to, be, to, to spread that word of reconciliation to others with an urgency, with, with, uh, with my energy, not to labor to build up the physical, to, to have a nicer tent. This is Paul's example. This is, this is his answer to those in, the, in Corinth that looked at him and said, you, you struggle too much, you're having too, too much difficulties, your life is not glamorous. He said, you know, the, he, he's commenting back to them. He says, you're really, you're looking to appearance. You're not looking at the heart. This is what's in my heart, and this is what motivates me. May it be the same with us, that we know what is on the other side. We have confidence. We don't have any trust in the flesh, and we're laboring to reconcile others to this, to spread this ministry of reconciliation, to be those ambassadors for Christ. We, we can never just read the first half of this chapter and have a sense of comfort. Okay, I know. My eternity is assured. Um, I have the promises of God, and, and that's enough. That's a complacency. That's a, a laziness that doesn't honor the Lord of glory. Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me. It pushes me. It really should. It's not a constraining, the love. Just think about that word. Love constrains it's not the law constrains. It's not a commandment that constrains. It's not I feel this great burden that I must talk to X number of people. And No. It's love. It's because I love the Lord. I know what he's done for me. I, I know that I have a, no matter what happens with my life, my physical body, my circumstances around me, I have an eternal home in heaven with him. It's that knowledge and that love, that gratitude that really now allows me to enter into this labor, this work. And this is what allows us to not henceforth live unto ourselves, verse 15, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The other passage here, maybe the most well-known verse in this chapter that we read here is something that we should think about a little bit in context of this t temporary tabernacle and this eternal uh, dwelling. And that is verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And this is what, to me, makes the reality of heaven what it is. It gives me the assurance knowing the transformation through the Spirit that God has done in my life. And the newness that is in him here and now. It's not a just this future hope. One day I know it'll happen, but it is an experience here and now. The down payment of the Spirit, the earnest of the Spirit, which he talks about here. This life in him that really allows me to know heaven is real. Not only that, but 
the presence of, of the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in my heart now is what is leading me, pulling me on to, to be with him in eternity, is what, what is motivating me and driving me. That, you know, those things are together. There is not one without the other. There's not just some future promise of heaven having a nice, a, a, a good hope for eternity without knowing him here now. That's my prayer this morning. That's what I want to beseech you, my friend outside of Christ, this morning. Um, rightly, I, I don't want to scare you or, or um, you know, I don't even know what the word is. But I want to beseech you, as he says here in verse 20, I want to beseech you, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You are missing out on so much if you don't know the Lord. My brother and my sister, it's all right to groan. I find myself even, I'm not old, I'm not you know, really suffering from the decline of this flesh yet. But I groan too. I groan because I, I desire more. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. The little bit that I have experienced of him through faith, just the taste, it makes me want so much more of him. And that's why I groan. It's all right. That's okay. The Lord will provide. You walk now by faith, not by sight. We don't see him yet. We're confident knowing that one day we will be in his presence. Now we are, in some sense, absence from his presence, even though he's here. We, we don't have that full experience, but we know that one day it's going to be the difference between night and day. It's going to be the difference between death and life. All of what we've experienced of the difficulties and pain of this life are going to be swallowed up in a glorious life. What's required now is confidence, is knowledge of him, and laboring, pursuit. May the Lord grant that to each one of us who believe and trust in him. May he help us to see clearly what Christ has done for us that will constrain us, that love will constrain us to do uh, whatever he asks of us. I haven't even touched really on the last verse here, given the time, and there's so much in here. Maybe we'll leave that for another time. May, may the Lord bless his word. May he add word. What's lacking? May, may his spirit just give us that, that assurance, that down payment. I, I think it's such a beautiful word. You know, you, you think, I have this little bit now, which is so much already, which is abundant, which is more than, but it's just a down payment. It's just the, the, the little bit. The full thing is coming. May the Lord bless his word. Brother, please select to him. <clears throat>